Newsweek presents The Debate with Andrew Tolman. Everything 100% of the time, 24 hours a day is a negotiation. Rakeem Brooks. This is a common good that we are talking about. Amani wells on Yoha. I'm completely fed up with whether it's politicized or not. And Jeff Charles. That distracts us from actually rolling up our sleeves. The Debate starts now. So I'm a super nerd when it comes to the Supreme Court. Like I live for and love listening to the oral arguments. Uh, I will read the opinions, not all of them, but the ones that capture my attention. Uh, as a philosopher, it's like the only place where I think real good, live, relevant philosophy is being done on a daily basis. And I find it fascinating. I really do. And I, you know, I love the question and answer, the debate style of it. It kind of makes me feel at home when we do the debate here. So, yeah, I listen to all five hours all five hours of the Supreme Court oral arguments in the two affirmative action cases last October. Uh, The one case with UNC, the other case with uh, Harvard. They're very, very similar. Of course, uh, the legal distinctions matter, whether it's Title VI of the Civil Rights Act or the 14th Amendment. But the basic question is the same. In both cases, you have an admissions policy at the school that doesn't seek a quota, doesn't give a bump per se, but we'll ask people what their race is. And then on the basis of that compiled with a bunch of different factors, they're each trying to create a very diverse student body and race is a part of that. So as a result, highly qualified Asian students who feel like they're being disadvantaged in the process, if some get in, others don't get in, have brought this lawsuit, the students for fair admissions. And we're kind of on the cusp with a you know conservative leaning court that looks like they might strike down all use of race in admissions. They might scale it back even farther from the, you know, uh, Grutter v. Bollinger decision. They might leave intact military academies. You know, we're kind of waiting on this decision. So my basic question is, should race be a factor in college admissions? Uh, Let's start with uh, you, Rakeem, uh, I assume you have strong opinions about this. Well, I know you have enlightened well, opinions. Why me? <laughs> of course, I have strong, <laughs> strong opinions about this. Uh, so I start from the proposition that race still matters in American society. In fact, I was out uh, out at a TED talk um, or the TED conference, and Coleman Hughes, a uh, sort of noted black conservative conservative columnist is releasing a book on colorblindness. And he starts off with this hypothetical. He says, like, close your eyes, imagine your best friend. And what qualities do you name about them? And he goes to, you know, kindness and generosity and good humor, et cetera. And he's like, does race ever come up? And like this audience was like, no, race doesn't come up. I was like, are you insane? (laughs) Like when I think of my, the person who I'm, whom I most revere in my life, my grandmother I see her dark black hands holding my little hands, right? I see very clearly who she is in the fullness of who she is because it fundamentally shaped her experience. So why do I start that way? If race still matters and serves as a, in some ways, an orienting factor in our lives, and we acknowledge that diversity has benefits in terms of decision-making and so forth, it would seem to me obvious that race should be considered in admissions because you would be, in fact, doing what the original Baki decision said, creating a diverse student body that brings different experiences to bear on social problems, hopefully with the goal of solving those problems, which might include itself racism. (laughs) I don't understand how in a divided society like ours, like when I grew up in East Harlem, other than my teachers, there were no white people. There was one kid who we weren't convinced 
was we weren't sure whether he was white or just a really light skinned Puerto Rican. Okay, <laughs> so that I, wanted, I just want to describe for you the setting. I know, having now gone to many great institutions, that there are plenty of white people who have never gone to school with a black person. And so are we saying that our institutions of higher education have no role to play in dealing with those deeply segregated environments that we have created for ourselves? That seems odd to me. And so putting the legal arguments aside about the constitutionality of using race, if we're just asking from a purely pragmatic perspective, would it be useful to use race as a consideration in deciding how we design various populations to achieve greater equity? My answer would be yes. All right, Jeff, thoughts? You know, I've never really been passionate about affirmative action either way. Um, You know, I have seen some uh, material talking about different problems with it as far as uh, getting people into colleges that they may not be ready for because of their race. But I'm not sure how often that really happens. On top of that, a lot of the arguments regarding affirmative action has to do with racial minorities. The main people who benefit from affirmative action are white women. So that's always been interesting to me. But and Rakim, you can correct me on this. But when I've had conversations with attorneys, they've been telling me that considering race for diversity just for diversity's sake isn't necessarily constitutional. But if people are promoting diversity because there has been a history of racism in their hiring practices or in in who they admit to their schools, then they are allowed to do affirmative action to make up for whatever those racial attitudes were or or however that impacted the matriculation. So I would wonder how this Supreme Court decision would affect that. I mean, if like say if I am the headmaster of a school and I find out that they've been discriminating against blacks or Hispanics or Asians. And I want to fix that. Would this Supreme Court decision stop me from doing that? That's a good point. And like you're saying, affirmative action is kind of like a corrective action. Like it's not affirmative action just for the sake of doing it. It's because these institutions do have a very strong history of racism. And for a long time, up until 60, 70 years ago, not even, uh, we were not even allowed to go to the same schools. We were segregated both in colleges and uh, middle school, elementary school. We were in completely different parts of the world. We weren't even allowed to engage with each other um, on an educational level. So when affirmative action became a thing, it was part of desegregating society And like you said, correcting some of these things that have historically been the way that we do things. It's also interesting to me, and this is a unpopular opinion. I don't know. This is why I don't like when we just refer to all minorities of POC, because it's literally Mm -hmm. not the same. Like I am black. You are Asian. You are Puerto Rican. You are what you are. We are not just people of color because there is not a lot of unity amongst POC. A lot of the times, Um, even in this particular case with the Asians in this case, I have to chuckle because they still make up. I think it was two to three times more than the black students, even at the school. The population of Asians in that school were still multiple times over than the amount of black people in the school. So it's kind of just strange to me that y'all are even uh, trying to bring this case to the Supreme Court because it's working for your group still. So that just is kind of a weird side note for me. But overall, affirmative action isn't a bad thing. It's something that's helping us have a better chance at diversifying these schools and giving more people a piece of the pie. The people of color comment is kind of an interesting one because it's kind of insulting to everybody who's not white. It's basically it's just another way of saying not white, which is defining you as other than 
You know, I mean, that's like it still has white as the focal there's not point. white people. Well, aren't they kind of individual groups or individual races? Like they deserve yeah. a little bit of individual attention, kind of like the recent weird debacle of defining women as non-men. You know, <laughs> like that's that's mm. not a that's not a good thing. So I, I'm interested in this uh, this issue of the overqualification part or underqualification part. Jeff, you hinted at it that um, in a place like Harvard, I'm going to assume that most everybody who's going to get in is qualified to be there. Um, that there's, they're not really putting people into Harvard who shouldn't be there in the first place and can't make it. And when you're talking about 100% admission policies at, you know, say community colleges or many four-year colleges, you don't as much have that problem either, but at some schools where they're more selective and therefore you imagine more rigorous, you do, I think have this problem of artificially bumping up students who underperform in the hopes that maybe you bring out their potential or in the hopes that maybe you can remedy and overcome some of the past impediments that have been put in their way. And it seems like that's a recipe for failure for them. Uh, Like Jeff, you were saying, and it's also, and kind of, this is one of the sort of historical arguments against affirmative action is you never know whether somebody's there on their merit or whether they're there because not quite as much merit, but they're, you know, the appropriate skin color. And that's always bothered me that, you know, this sort of stigma that attaches to people who get in under affirmative action programs, even if they didn't need it to get in. Rakeem, does that kind of, I don't know, stigma carry any concern for you? No, I was I'm almost certain I was a beneficiary of affirmative action. The only reason I have any question about it is because, as I said, I grew up in public housing. And so probably for anyone in my neighborhood, my test scores were far beyond anything that, you know, had come out in recent memory. So it could have just as easily been due to my zip code, but all those things work together, right? Like me living in that neighborhood was partially because of who I was as a racial minority, et cetera. This question about stigma has always struck me as performative in the sense that once I got to Brown, there was not a single person who wondered how I got there. In fact, most people thought that I came from a much wealthier background than I actually did, which always surprised me because of how I comported myself, how I engaged in class, what I was interested in, and so forth. And so it always seems to me that the people, I know you're not this person, Andrew, but the people who raise the specter of that argument are themselves typically the racists who assume that the person admitted on some standard that is not absolutely the same standard as someone else gets to the university and people look around and say like, oh, look, there's that guy. He must he must not belong here because he's black. And that just never happened. I mean, I've been to a bunch of these institutions now. And if they were saying it, they certainly never said it to me. And even you know, I, had, I was well networked enough to know if it would come up. But the truth is, once you get there, you realize that there's a lot of mediocrity going on and it has nothing <laughs> to do with race alone. Right. I mean, as Michelle Obama says, I've been to all these tables and these people are not that smart. Like when you get to Harvard, the, when you say, like, I assume everybody who's there actually can cut the work. Mm, I've done the admissions tours. I know who gets into some of these institutions and why they get in. And there are definitely people who are not ready for the work. And it does not tend to be the so-called beneficiaries of affirmative action. That's a fact. Well, just, just to add to Rakeem's point, um, because I mean, obviously, Rakeem, I mean, you're obviously qualified to do what you do, even though you say you're a, a beneficiary of, of affirmative action. I think that 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 fears about that are kind of overplayed. Like, I remember, especially with, with the attitudes who say, oh, that must be an affirmative affirmative action hire. 
I think you're probably more right about that than, than people want to admit. I'm sure a lot of people have that in their heads. But I remember when Tucker Carlson was fired from Fox News and Lawrence B. Jones was placed as one of the hosts in that lineup. And Dr. Carol Swain, another black conservative, said it criticized Fox News, saying we don't need affirmative action appointees, like throwing tons of shade at Lawrence Jones. And to me, that does speak to your point, Rakeem. This is more in the people who would dare to make that statement. I mean, if you see that somebody is clearly qualified, then whether you're for or against affirmative action, that shouldn't be what comes into your mind. And they paint this picture that if a black person gets appointed to a certain position or a Hispanic or they did this big debate over the airlines wanting more diversity. Oh, we're going to have more plane crashes. Oh, why? Because there's not enough white people there. Like, come on now. Like, like there are principled arguments you can make against affirmative action, but I think a lot of them do. A lot of them do come from a place of bigotry and I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying that, but I don't care. I generally oppose affirmative action. What bothers me for sure is the feeling that, you know, racists are on my side. I don't want to be on, you know, that's I don't want to I don't want to have people who are allied to me who hold views that I think are just completely obnoxious and immoral. So that's certainly a concern. And it's it's really true. Like when you look at a lot of have y'all heard of like legacy admissions? OK, let's 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 turn this on the other side. All right. There is a lot of white people who are getting into these schools because their granddaddy went to the school. They uh, grandmama gave two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to name a library after them. There's all sorts of ways that people are getting around things. They might have had a two point one GPA in high school, but because they gave a four million dollar donation to the university and created some sponsorship in the name of their uncle. Now they get to go to the school. So like there's like we're saying, there's no purity test, right? There's no way to make sure that we are all getting into the school on the exact same merit, on the exact same accord. There are different ways that people are finessing the system on all sides. So, yeah, it's a little weird when people want to look at the blacks and be like, what are y'all doing here? Like, what are you doing here, Blake? Who is your dad? <laughs> you know, like we could do the same thing. You know, Andrew, I'd, I'd offer one thing that so is to play both sides for a second, though. Everybody knows where I stand, right? So the mismatch hypothesis popularized by Thomas Sowell and then Justice Scalia goes sort of like this. Um, Rakim goes to Bronx Science. He's one of the top performing math students in the country, top 1%, right? As a consequence, MIT admits him on affirmative action because relative to his category, the Blacks, as Amani said, he is one of the top performers and um, MIT wants to admit folks uh, of color who have potential. The problem is he goes to MIT where every other math student is actually in the top one tenth of one percent, not the top one percent. And as a consequence, the mathematics classes are that much harder, so forth and so on. And so Rakim, who might have very well majored in engineering, ends up majoring in uh, English as a consequence right, or history. Um, and we lost out on one potential black engineer. That's sort of how that story goes. I defy you to find a black person who went to MIT who said my life is worse. If they had only let me in to SUNY Buffalo, great school. My sister went to it. I'm just throwing it out there. If they had only just pegged me right, you know, I'd be better off. This network of MIT graduates, this is foolishness. I didn't need that. You know, like there is no person who feels that way having, I mean, I would say no person, but, you know, the, on the population study who walks away from one of these schools saying, you know what, I just, I don't know why here I was. Good. I mean, I went to Brown to maybe, you know, I may be a case in point, right? I went to Brown. I was going to be an applied math major because I was that kid at Bronx Science. I got to Brown 
And I actually found that I had other interests. It wasn't that the math classes defeated me. It was just like, oh, I just didn't know I was persuaded. Well, that's the story you tell now. Anyway. That, you know, I mean, exactly right. I mean, you know, you got to make up something to answer these, uh, these objections. So I don't know. I, I find actually um, the conservative scholar uh, Richard Epstein basically says, like, this is a business decision. That's how he thinks about it. Right. Which is businesses can decide to arrange their store clerks, for instance, in any way they so choose to invite in the clientele that we want. And I think we don't think of our institutions of higher education that way. But to Amani's point, my view of legacy admissions was like, if you stop admitting the dumb kid, then you don't get the three Nobel Prize winning physicists who teach teach everybody else, including the dumb kid. Right. Like it turns out that these institutions are balancing multiple interests at every particular moment, race being just one of them. And so I think what you'll find if, in fact, affirmative action is struck down and universities can't figure out how it is they're going to create diverse environments, that they will start losing out on the best and most talented applicants in the country who do not want to attend an institution that is only one complexion in one way or another. So one of the, there's kind of a collage of arguments that I picked up from the oral arguments that I I think they paint a picture of why the opposition of these particular programs. Uh, One is that we You know, you have states like Florida, for example, there are others, I think there's nine altogether that don't allow racial basis for admission standards in any way in college and yet seem to still produce pretty good diversity in the student body. So one argument is it's not really necessary to do it this way. You can get the outcome without even asking the question just by looking for qualifications and all this kind of stuff. The second piece that goes along with that is that when she wrote the uh, Grutter decision in 03, Sandra Day O'Connor said, you know, 25 years, you know, that at some point in the future, if we're trying to remedy this problem, we should get to a place where we don't have to pay attention to it anymore. And if we have gotten to that place, then if we're still having to pay attention to it, even if we haven't solved the problem, clearly this mechanism of solving it is not doing the work we want it to do. And kind of put together, that's kind of where I fit is I think, well, can we not try something else at this point? Because I I actually am very sympathetic to the argument that, look, the people that you get into college are the people who are going to be defining the legal profession, defining the political profession, defining and running governments and businesses. And, you know, you look at the military, um, all of these other endeavors. If you don't have a variety of people representing the best and brightest of everybody in the culture in those areas, then you're going to get a disproportionately white or disproportionately Asian or whatever leadership cadre in all the places that matter. And that's bad for us as a society. But do we have to get there this way? I don't know. I know it's kind of a jumble, but that's kind of where I'm at. Well, and that that would be like really my only real opposition to affirmative action, because, again, I'm not really for it. But I mean, to me, it's like it's is it really even necessary now if they get rid of affirmative action? I think Harvard will still promote diversity among its ranks. I think a lot of these colleges will. And to me, it's like, especially like, say, if I took over a school, if I took over a company and I found out there was racism in their hiring practices, like I said earlier, I don't want the government telling me that I can't correct that that mistake because it shouldn't have happened. So that would be my concern. But I'm not convinced that doing away with affirmative action would somehow make our colleges less diverse. Like I said, they're going to do it anyway. And is the government really going to do anything about it? Probably not. You know, when I think about this topic, it's just, I, like I said, I have a lot of different thoughts and I feel kind of conflicted on some things, which it's kind of our tone, right? That's a lot of us have that view. Um, but, you know, one of the things uh, when I, when I think through all of this is 
what's the nature of the diversity that's being accomplished? It seems very one dimensional, like race and gender, maybe, but only those things. And one of the things that came up in oral arguments is, well, at Harvard, like, you know, nine percent of the student body is conservative and 91 percent. It leans the other direction. Well, that's not diversity. Right. Or when it comes to economic status, you have like a 20 or 25 to one ratio between wealthy and, you know, poor students, basically. And that seems to be a real gap. If you're if you're trying to create diversity, there's so much more to that than just mm-hmm. race. And I so much worry that when we, you know, use diversity as the goal, we miss out on the other things, even though they say that's what they're trying to accomplish. Are we I mean, are we doing a bad job of getting diversity, I guess? Diversity is much more than just skin tone. There's diversity of economic situations. There's diversity um, in physical abilities. Um, Mm -hmm. Handicapped people, that still goes into diversity. Being part of the gay community, that's diversity. Being brought up in different, there's regional diversities. There's somebody who is born on the East Coast in New York. There's people who are, you know, from the outside suburbs of Texas and Tyler somewhere. So there's all different sorts of diversity. And so we shouldn't be so quick to start chipping away at it because that's my fear is that we're going to start chipping away at this one part and we're going to start chipping away at the other parts. And then before you know it, we're going to be another 50 years back in society. And I'm not looking forward to that. So I just wonder when there are so many bigger issues that that these institutions could be focusing on and the Supreme Court could be dealing with with their time. Why are we focused on this? That's my biggest thing. And I will say the the one thing about this case, of course, is inspired by Asian students who hyperachieve and then have to train themselves to or get, or pay somebody to train them how to hide their Asianness on their application because it's viewed as a detriment. I mean, like there's this whole cottage industry, I guess, around this. Mm-hmm. And that seems very unfair to me. That seems very unjust to me. But at the same time, you know, there's a value to having all of this different stuff together in the student body. And if you had a, I don't know, 75 percent Asian population at Harvard, I mean, I think Harvard would be worse off and the other students, the the Asian students and the other students would all be worse off because of what they're missing in terms of the variety that they encounter. So although I find myself sympathetic to the goals of what's trying to be accomplished here, I think it can be done better. Uh, And I do worry that, you know, why do we keep doing it this way when apparently doing it this way isn't achieving the end result that we're supposed to be shooting at? We should be asking, this is where Iman, I guess, is going. How else can we be doing this? What more could we be doing to achieve a diverse student body? Uh, What is so perturbing for a lot of us about these particular attacks is that back to where we started, it seems as though because affirmative action benefits Black people and Latinos in particular, it seems to be a particular scourge on the right where initially they felt that white students were being discriminated against, but they couldn't use that population effectively. So then they got some Asian students to sue to say, well, you'd be a better test subject, test case um, than than others, right? Using the same affirmative action, by the way, notice how that worked, right? They had to choose a group of subjects that were not the norm, actually, (laughs) but rather subject based on their race to what they felt was discrimination to prove a point. In any case, All of the various forms of diversity that encompass us as human beings belong in our institutions of higher education. And we're just beginning, as Amani said, in the last 60 years to experiment with what it means to bring that diversity and recognize that it's an important aspect of the educational environment. So it doesn't make any sense to me that we would stop one experiment that's been largely successful in diversifying the upper ranks of society and the various points of um, influence 
uh, as opposed to saying, let's augment it with yet other reasons. Now, part of the reason, again, I think affirmative action is targeted as opposed to other forms of diversity is because these other institutional interests are actually stronger, right? The legacy interests are tremendous. If you, if we had started that way, imagine a lawsuit that said that <laughs> legacy was no longer permissible. It would never happen. Why? Because John Roberts wants his children to go to Harvard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because Samuel Alito wants his children to go to Yale, right? It would never happen. That's not the way our society is constituted. And so, you know, elite forces of a variety of kinds have now decided like, well, this is the kind of diversity that we don't prefer. It seems disruptive. But I'd be fine if folks said like, we want ideological diversity at our universities to be greater, if only for the purposes of promoting um, healthy disagreement. Right. People to try out ideas, assuming that people aren't in fixed positions, that we need different folks to hold oppositional views ardently to explore ideas. Sure. That's what universities are for. Who has? I don't have a problem with that. Um, but again, why target affirmative action in particular, as opposed to any of these other pieces, as opposed to embracing diversity and saying that there are multiple ways of achieving it? you would like to be a part of the debate, email us. The debate at Newsweek.com. After being a staple in American media for over 90 years, Newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts. The debate. They'll recognize how these policies aren't working. They'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior. The Josh Hammer Show. Restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. The Crystal Knight Show. Just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist. Fast women. Chevy's actually doing really well and Honda's really not. Wow. It's like the opposite of most people's perception of them. It is. The parting shot. Every year when the new nominations are announced, I get this excited, nostalgic feeling, and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies. The Royal Report. Harry and Meghan's head of comms has announced they now move forward to their kind of future outside the royal family. Newsweek Podcasts. New episodes drop weekly. Download or listen now at Newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts.